0: So it starts with what sorts of talent we're trying to bring into the workforce and into our workplace because we're starting to see folks uh, selecting for lifelong learners in the interview process and then once they're there we're trying to enrich their experience by creating a a learning culture one where learning and continual growth is uh, praised and rewarded and recognized Uh, so that there's that virtuous cycle there and then the impact that that's having is organizations are much more nimble than they used to be and so organizations can shift focus and shift strategic priority uh, when they're confronted with new challenges or new opportunities
1: hello everybody welcome to another episode of the hacking hr podcast Today, we are going to talk about one of my most favorite topics ever, which is learning. And you probably know because most, mostly everything that I do uh, revolves around learning. And we're going to have this conversation with somebody who has been in this space. Uh, for a long time leading learning and development for fast growing companies and enjoying this space and making the best out of it in the context of this new world of work that we are engaging and working with so sean welcome to the show how are you doing hey enrique i'm well thanks for having me well i am excited about this conversation about learning and i want to begin by asking you this question I think over the past five years, for a long time, but especially over the past five years, we've been hearing this thing of lifelong learning more and more and more and more. What does that mean for the workplace? You know, What is the translation of a lifelong learning sort of philosophy or a strategy, a strategy into uh, the workplace, into business? What does that mean for them?
0: Yeah, so it starts with what sorts of talent we're trying to bring into the workforce and into our workplace, because we're starting to see folks uh, selecting for lifelong learners in the interview process. And then once they're there, we're trying to enrich their experience by creating a a learning culture, one where learning and continual growth is uh, praised and rewarded and recognized, uh, so that there's that virtuous cycle there. And then the impact that that's having is organizations are much more nimble than they used to be. And so organizations can shift focus and shift strategic priority uh, when they're confronted with new challenges or new opportunities.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because um, I don't know if there has been any research about this uh, as of now. But you know, empirically, when you look at the organizations that were able to thrive at the very big, during the pandemic, but especially they were ready to tackle the challenges of the pandemic at the very beginning, they were organizations that were already embracing this philosophy of a culture of learning, agility, innovation to be nimble, you know, to face whatever, Uh, you know, uh, challenges were coming their way, whereas those organizations that were more rigid, they truly had a hard time, you know, uh, catching up and just realizing whatever was going on out there in the world. So now let's go back to this idea of learning culture. How do you do this? Uh, And and I want to ask you this question, especially because uh, companies Have limited resources and limited amount of time to offer their people the opportunity for traditional training or learning. Mm -hmm. So, beyond that, how do you create a culture where people, in a more uh, sort of organic, even informal way, that they are learning all the time from their peers, whatever? How do you create this learning culture?
0: culture? Sure. So, if you think about a learning culture as a way for an organization to take inputs and circulate them rapidly within the company mm-hmm. and then translate them to action, right? Translate them to new action. If that's what we're trying to build in the learning world, we've really got a lot of benefits of the, the macro shifts in our culture. Yeah. There's more and more uh, expectations for folks to be creating content, uh, content creators, YouTubers, is some of the the things that children want to be more than anything else.
1: Used <laughs> yeah. to uh, be firefighters so, before.
0: <laughs> correct. Uh, don't know what that says about our 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 culture. Hopefully, we find uh, young people growing up to be firefighters who also train other firefighters and yeah. things like that, um, or make TikToks about them, uh, what have you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so there's there's this um, this momentum in our culture to like share what you know, and yeah. I think. Amplifying that is a great place to start with with building a learning culture at an organization. You certainly have folks in your company already who are looking to to share what they know, who are looking to uh, help their peers, who are looking to build their brand sometimes. And so actually amplifying that and encouraging that behavior and creating a system where where that's rewarded uh, is the, the first steps to building a learning culture.
1: I love that, and you're making me think about the tension that exists between who we are as humans outside of work and who we are as humans inside of work. Mm. Very often, I find a big chasm between us wanting to share what we know outside and then trying to do the same thing in the organization of finding all these roadblocks, right? I mean, the yeah. silos, having to ask permission to do something like this, having to talk to the boss to see, hey, are you mm-hmm. okay with me? Talking to the people from the other team to share what we learned in this experience in our silo. So it yeah. seems that uh, there, there has to be a lot of cultural changes in the organization for this to happen the way it already happens in the outside uh, world of the organization, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there are some some of those considerations are are uh, based in reality, like some of those considerations are well thought out, especially when we think about privacy of the data that we're sharing and the proprietary strategy. So I'm not I'm not uh, advocating that we don't have any of those systems in place, but starting with finding the folks who have that and go out and have a default to yes mentality. Is, is how you can get that, that started for sure. As you talk about silos, that's, that's a, a broader organizational design uh, yeah. conversation. We, get, we could spend an hour on that uh, maybe yeah. next time. But <laughs> as you start to think about that, it's really first and foremost at the culture and a learning culture is a great way to break down those silos. Yeah. So it's a great um, uh, lower threat way than say working on projects together or some other revenue generating stream. It's a lower threat way to cross-pollinate
1: ideas. Yeah. Uh, it, there are companies that already do this, uh, you know, uh, in a very systematic way. They ask their people, you know, go across the hall. Well, when we were in the office yeah. and you know, s- seek out to learn from other teams. It doesn't matter if they are in your functional area of expertise. Uh, and actually, it's even better yeah. if they are not. Because this cross-pollination of ideas will make them better and will make you better. Uh, But still, I find so many barriers from this to to happen. And, uh, you know, uh, I think that at the beginning of the pandemic, there were so many companies, so many leaders especially, coming forward and saying, you know what? We're dealing with all these challenges and we have no idea what to do. So they brought the uh, community of the company together to put their heads together and try to resolve these problems in a very, like you said, in a cross-pollinating uh, yeah. or cross-pollination kind of approach. So um, w- what do you think has to change in an organization for this to happen? You know, if you if you were to point uh, to, if you were to tell business leaders, these are the two or three things that you have to get away with because they are preventing this kind of organization mm-hmm. from actually coming to reality. What would those things be? Yeah. So what, what
0: I like to think about is what are the resistance points to mm-hmm. this? Where yeah. are the points where you'll experience some sort of pushback or resistance or friction? Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's really three areas where, where this can come up. The first is at the senior most leadership level. So anything that uh, that senior most leader or those senior most leaders think in private about this practice will start to seep into how they how they interact and reinforce it. Yeah. And so it's really important to have executive sponsorship of these ideas and that those executives can play a role actually um, amplifying the voice of these content creators and these uh, sort of spearheaders of this learning community. So that's the first resistance point. The second is the the line managers, those folks who are managing this people's time directly and who are thinking about, you know, this person can... uh, you know, to use our firefighter example, go go uh, take that, take care of that burning building or <laughs> go create this training on, on CPR or something else, right? Yeah. Uh, they're thinking much more short-term in general and they're incentivized to do so. Yeah. And so that's where our management training can come in to really reinforce what our, our executives have already bought into to saying this is the, the default to yes mentality yeah. that we have. And then the last resistance point is the individuals. Trying to um, come about this uh, inorganically, trying to come about this saying we need somebody to talk about uh, this type of marketing, so let's go find someone. A lot of times, that's not going to work as well as finding and amplifying the voices that are already there. So you might find resistance points if you're if you're going about it uh, inorganically.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I love this, and 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 of course, this this makes me I, I ask you the, this question. Um, a lot of companies talk about lifelong learning and how important it is to learn and reskill, upskill, all all of those things. But they still are resisting mm-hmm. this kind of culture. Yeah. Um, you know whether implicitly or exp- explicitly. You know through their behavior, their their spoken or not spoken behaviors, they they do this. So in the case of HR or uh, an or L and D leaders, how do they create the case? For their senior leaders, for their line managers, for their individuals to say, this is what we could be if we yeah. become a learning culture. This is what we yeah. could achieve uh, if this happens. What, what would you tell them uh, as to, to, to take into consideration when they are trying to create that case?
0: Yeah, I love that. So it's thinking through what's the impact that this learning culture is going to have on mm-hmm. our company? And if you think about that the, the, the benefit that it provides is the ability for us to pivot our organization on a dime And we don't know what those are going to be but we know just from the last two years those examples are going to keep coming up yeah. whether that's uh, you know a pandemic hopefully we don't have a, a second one around the corner here or climate change or um, int- uh, other other sorts of sort of national and international, events and issues that are changing the way that companies work, those are around the corner. And so once you get to that point, you need to be able to ask the question, do I have clear levers in place to shift the organization's strategy? Do I have a list of, of the influencers, you know, to use that phrase, again, borrowing <laughs> from our culture, uh, that I can go to, that I can tap, that I can uh, give the inside scoop to, to have an outsized impact on my organization. Yeah. And so that's what you're painting. You're painting that picture. You're painting that capability yeah. that HR is constantly asked to do from a change management uh, perspective. You're you're equipping future
1: you to be able to do that well. I, I absolutely love that question, by the way. I got to say, do I have what is needed to change the strategy when I'm facing you know, extreme chaos, uncertainty. And, and the beauty of this question that you're asking is that it's true for senior leaders and it's true for the individual, uh, that comes to work and says, you know, do, do you have individually what is needed to operate differently if we are required to operate differently? And, and by the way, when, when, when it comes to leadership, you know, one of the things that we have, uh, we have to acknowledge uh, uh, that has happened over the past 18 months is that there, there were quote unquote, good leaders uh, before mm. that simply couldn't thrive during the pandemic because yeah. their style uh, not only didn't match the new reality of work, but they were not ready to switch uh, or, or, or change that style into a different kind of thing that was more yeah. relevant for the pandemic. So I, I love that. Um, Sean, let me ask you this uh, last question as we, get ready to wrap up our our chat. Going forward, uh, we know that the shelf life of technical skills will be shorter. Mm. Uh, We need to uh, constantly uh, uh, retrain our human skills because they are becoming, they always were important, but they are becoming more important now. So how, what, what do you think HR needs to keep in mind going forward, knowing that in the world of learning, we will have to be very aware of everything changing around us at a mind-boggling uh, pace.
0: Yeah. So I think you you referenced it well. And this command and control style of leadership has, you know, increasingly fallen out of favor and proven completely ineffective yes. in the last few years. So I think you can think about that same approach as HR practitioners, right? That command and control every step of the process is not gonna not gonna be possible going into the next decade. Yeah. And so enable and empower folks to Look outside of your organization for stimuli. Look outside of your organization for inputs, and ask them to share back because that's the the type of culture we have. Yeah. It's not just about what's happening directly within your LMS or your you know training classrooms. It's also about what your folks are doing when they're on LinkedIn at nine o'clock. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And um, and you know what? There's I the 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 unlimited potential of uh, the talent in our organizations it's just uh, it's just incredible to, to to realize that we can learn so much from each other um, and we always generally always just see who we are at work and we don't try to understand who we are outside of work and how that can influence yeah. and impact what we do inside of work. So Sean, thank you so much for sharing these amazing insights. Great conversation. Uh, lots of great ideas here for HR people and L&D, which, by the way, generally put into it the HR pocket. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they don't think of themselves like that, but I, I do. Um, uh, great ideas here for them to, uh, to start operating differently. So thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you, Enrique. Thank you. And thank you, everybody. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Hacking HR Podcast. I will see you all soon. Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.